0: This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what
1: you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back.
0: I'm Lynn Roush. And I'm John Tenen. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything, so we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. So, welcome back to With You in the Weeds. Uh, Austin is here with me today. We just finished a series on managing emotions. Emotions are the monster that threatens to overtake everything, it's a key to doing life. And if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out after this episode. Very helpful. Good to have in your library of podcasts. Today, we're launching a new series, Managing Relationships. And we're doing this. Number one, because everyone is in one, period. You're in a relationship with a friend, a boss, a spouse, a sibling, a child, with yourself. Some people say, I don't need relationships. I don't have time for them. But you're going somewhere to have a relationship with something. Maybe it's virtual. Secondly, we're in relationships because we're hardwired by God to be in them. It's like breathing. We can't help it. The greatest joy in our lives comes from good relationships. The greatest hurts come from bad ones. Uh, Third, we need to learn how to manage our relationships. Like recipes need ingredients, so do relationships. We have to tend to them. Because this can get complicated, different types of relationship issues need different ingredients. So we're gonna cover a lot of things. Austin, what are we gonna cover?
1: Yeah, first of all, good to be here with you, John. You too. Topics we're gonna cover in this series. We're gonna talk about conflict. Toxic relationships, betrayal, the roots that kill relationships, and how to nurture healthy relationship. And we think you and the people that you know are really going to benefit from these topics. So we hope you'll join John and Lynn and Shay and I over the next few episodes, listen in, text the episodes to a friends, all that. So let's kick off this new series by talking about the roots of conflict. Now, here's what we can't do. We can't name and describe every single conflict that you have in your life right now nor can we solve that conflict. Honestly, I wish that we could because the conflicts, uh, they range from painful to messy to confusing and more, and and it sucks. I don't want that for you, and yet we can't solve it or fix it. But instead, what we can do is paint with a broad brushstroke as we talk about the conflict. This is going to allow you to take those conflicts and apply or take the things we're going to talk about and then apply them to your particular and specific conflict and take a next step to solving and healing and reconciling, if that's possible. Not not all at once, but maybe just a little bit. So, here's the flow of this episode. First, we're going to tell you about why conflict exists in the first place. And then we're going to give you four questions that you have to answer if you want to get better equipped to manage the conflict in your life. So, Brother John, tell our beloved listeners why conflict exists in the first place.
0: Why does it exist? I wrestled with this. Um, The most simple answer I can give, and to narrow it down, because it's so complicated, is we have competing desires. So, James chapter 4, ancient wisdom from the Bible. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet. But you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. Interesting, as I was looking at this, thinking, really? Like, is it that simple? Is the Bible really on it? Because, like, that's so old and ancient. So I went to Merriam Webster, Googled it. Master Google, what should I think? So the Merriam Webster definition of conflict, ready? Mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wants, wishes, or external or internal demands. That is James chapter four.
1: So it turns out that the Bible actually has something to say about conflict. Who knew? I,
0: I discover this all the time, right? Yeah. So it's desire and I'm going to add emotional reactivity.
1: What do you mean this. by that? Can you, can you explain to me and to our listeners, what do you mean by that?
0: When you have a desire, you have a want. You have an internal drive or an external thing driving you. I need this. It's my cash cow. Mm -hmm. I have to have this. Something you love or something you want and think that you have to have is threatened. It increases your emotional intensity and fear. And then you're acting out of your fear. I'll give you a story about this.
1: Ooh, story time.
0: So I'm with my daughter in Nashville last weekend. We're sitting on the couch. We're having this really warm family moment. My wife's sitting there. We're talking. We're connecting. And all of a sudden, my daughter gasps. (gasps) And everyone looks at her. She said, Bono, dead at 62. (laughs) And Bono is my favorite singer. When I die at my funeral, I'm going to have a U2 song in there somewhere. (laughs) Okay. So I immediately react no, no, boop, no, the boop is an expletive.
1: I, I, I can't imagine that, but and anyway.
0: Not a really bad one either, okay. but I just don't want to say it here. Right. No, no. And then everyone's reacting and I'm like, really, seriously, this has got to be a joke. And I start really getting worked up and I'm looking on my phone and then everyone starts laughing. She was videotaping me oh. and I got so upset. I felt I am exposed to the world. I was in my pajamas. I'm exposed to the world in my pajamas. I hadn't had my first full cup of coffee. I am going to look so bad. I was caught off guard, and I like to be in control. So all of a sudden, my emotional intensity propels me from the couch, and I have to take a lap to figure out what in the heck I'm going to do. Then my daughter and I actually start to have conflict. She gets upset with me. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm the one that was like thrown under the bus. Why am I the bad guy? And she obviously has this desire, dad, it'll go viral on TikTok. Everybody's doing it. And (laughs) then I don't want to be on TikTok. I hate social media TikTok stuff. (laughs) So all of a sudden I have all of this emotional intensity that's arising within me. So after I calmed down about an hour later, I said, okay, tell you what. If you take the section out where I get off the couch and my pajamas are baggy, like, I don't care, do with it what you want. But that's what I mean by emotional reactivity. I literally had to manage what in the heck is going on with me. And I'll tell you one other thing that popped up in my brain. When I was a kid, there was a family that I would play with their kids and they constantly played jokes on me and I felt on the outs. And that came up in my brain. So there's a lot of stuff that comes up emotionally when you're in conflict. So I think that's why conflict happens. We have desires to protect, desires to get things we need. And so it just gets all bundled up in that stew. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. I just want to let the record show Bono indeed is not dead. He's alive and well as of this recording.
0: That's right. Great. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm really happy about (laughs) that. Great. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned four questions everyone has to answer. What's the first one?
1: Yeah. Question one, who are you in conflict with? And what I mean by that is, is what type of person are you in conflict with? So Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, they wrote a book called Bold Love. It's a great book. And in it, they talk about three different types of people. Here's the first. They talk about the normal everyday sinner. This is a person that might create conflict, might sin against another person, makes a mistake. But this person's open to learning and correction. So when somebody tells this person how their actions impacted them, this person is genuinely sorry. And they communicate to the person that they heard. And they take steps to rectify and reconcile the relationship. Hmm. Uh, I've got a story about this, about Disney. (laughs) So a few years ago, my wife and our three kids, we went to Disney World with my dad and stepmom. And it was a great trip. But there was one day we're walking to a ride at one of the parks and my dad saw one of the kiddos doing something that he thought was wrong and wanted to discipline them for it. And I think somebody was absentmindedly like, I don't know, hanging a pirate sword out of the stroller and knocking people as they went by, something silly. I didn't think that that warranted a discipline. So I stepped in and I told my dad that. Well, he didn't like that. And so he started gumming at me and we started arguing in front of everybody. A little bit awkward, (laughs) Sounds it. You haven't uh, gotten the full Disney experience until you fought uh, with a family member down there. Anyway, we cooled off. We went our separate ways. And then, to his credit, my dad took the initiative and he explained his side of the conflict. But, and here's the key point, he apologized to me for his part. Hmm. That was an example of what should have happened. And that's what being in conflict with a normal sinner looks like. So, normal sinner is the first person. Second type of person is known as the fool. This is somebody who's like a bull in a china shop. They are unaware of the impact that they have on others and the conflicts that they create. And they show no interest in figuring that out.
0: They don't even care.
1: They don't even care. That's right. And so if and when somebody approaches them to tell them about the impact they had on them or somebody sharing, hey, you did this to me when I was growing up, they're going to diminish that hurt. They're not going to listen. They're going to flip the tables and they're going to make you feel silly or ashamed for bringing up that hurt. Mm, that's and bad. Yeah, it's it's not great. And it's it, they require that other person to change their thoughts, their actions, their behaviors. I'm the victim here. Why would you bring that up to me? That's what the fool does. The third and the final person that they distinguish is the evil person. Now, this is a step beyond the fool. This the The fool has a negative impact on others, but they're not looking to cause conflict or hurt or pain. But the evil person does. They are seeking this out. They are cold, they are calculated, and they get energy in life from causing hurt, pain, and shame in other people. And it might not be a ton, a ton a ton of people. It might just even be one person, but they relish in hurting that pain. and, and they're sly and they're sneaky, and they remain hidden for most of the time. Now, let me give one more important caveat. You cannot determine the type of person you're dealing with based on one or even two interactions. Rather, this needs to be determined over a longer period of time. Because everybody, let's be honest, everybody can and does have bad days. You know, you're not yourself, and our first response isn't our best response. But for the normal sinner, this is by far the exception. But for the fool and for the evil person, those patterns of behavior are the rule. So just to wrap this question up, you got to ask yourself first and foremost, when you're in a conflict, which type of person are you dealing with? The normal sinner, the fool, or the evil person? Now, we're going to talk about potential responses in the next episode. But John, let's move on. Tell us more about the second question we got to ask ourselves in any conflict.
0: I I think that's really helpful, and I don't think most Christians stop and think about what kind of person am I dealing with
1: here. I totally agree. When I read that chapter even just a few months ago, it was revolutionary, so I think you're exactly right.
0: Yeah, we just kind of have this idea that, well, we should all get along if we're loving Jesus, and if I love Jesus, my relationships should be good, and people will behave, and it's just not the case. The Bible gives us categories. Second question, what is the conflict about? Is it a surface level conflict or is it something really deeper? You bump into somebody at Starbucks and it kind of bugs you for three seconds, but you realize this is no big deal. Like, oops, sorry. Or is it a deeper level conflict? Uh, Something that goes like seriously deep, like a $5 million type of conflict instead of a 50 cent conflict.
1: Yeah, like maybe you've seen this, you know, if couples come in in a session and they're talking about, well, you know what, you bought 2% milk and I love whole milk. And then the husband might say, no, that's ridiculous. I always love whole milk. You tell me I love whole milk, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what are we really talking about? We're not talking about milk yep we're talking about one person doesn't listen to and justify and acknowledge the desires of the other person,
0: yeah, and what's really cool about that, and we do this with clients all the time, married couples uh distinguish between a solvable problem versus an unsolvable problem
1: what can you can you share more that's well really, yeah really great. so
0: a solvable problem is okay, well let's buy two percent and whole milk, like there's a compromise, boom, that's fixed um An unsolvable problem is this person has a personality that needs order in order to feel good Mm. and they line shoes up and everything has to be clean and everything has to be in place. They've always been that way. Guess what? That's not going to change much over the next 25 or 30 years. So that is an unsolvable problem. That doesn't mean that you can't work with it. It just means you can't change that person's personality.
1: How does, how does that change? Let's say you know you're in a conflict with Paula or a coworker and you're dealing with an unsolvable problem. How does that change things?
0: Well, number one, uh, and I'll make this quick because we could go deep with it. Does that person have the willingness to work on the problem? Hmm. If two people are willing to work on it, they can work on it and work through it. If they're not willing, then there's not much you can do.
1: Yeah, and maybe I jumped ahead of myself and we can get more into this, but I I just said that because I love that distinction between solvable versus an unsolvable. So asking yourselves, which kind of conflict is it?
0: And if we're talking about marriage, John Gottman says 73, some 73%, it might even be 76% of problems in a marriage are unsolvable because a person's fixed in their patterns and in their behaviors. So essentially you just have to go about being you in a different way, but you can't change being you. So solvable versus unsolvable. If you're trying to solve an unsolvable problem, you're beating your head against a wall. So what is the conflict about? Is it solvable? Is it unsolvable?
1: Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. Question three, how are you engaging in this conflict? In other words, what are the patterns that you're in? Now, there's three patterns that I wanna talk about. And as you listen, first try to evaluate which one you tend to default to. Maybe you do this in all situations or maybe there are certain situations where you use one pattern and a different one. But first think about yourself and then you can evaluate and think about the other person. So here's the first. First pattern is attacking or pursuing. And here's some signs that, that show if you're doing this. You request or appeal for answers from the other person. You might even make demands. There's an increasingly louder voice, blaming, finger-pointing. Maybe you physically follow the person wherever they go, criticizing. So that's the first, attacking or pursuing. The second pattern is a defending or withdrawing. Here's some signs of that. You're not listening or responding to the other person you might avoid eye contact. You're crossing your legs, you're folding your arms, you're turning your body away. You know, there's so much is communicated by body language. And maybe you leave the room or the location. So, that's the second one, defend or withdraw.
0: Yeah, let me pick up with another one, triangulation. And this is a big one. It's not popularly understood, but it divides relationships like crazy. So, Here's what it looks like. Instead of dealing directly with a person who has hurt you or troubled you, you go looking for someone else to take your side and rescue you or bleed off the pressure of the hurt feelings you have. Another word for this in the Bible is gossip incredible damage. And it basically involves a perpetrator, a victim, and a rescuer. So let me give you an example of this. Biff is the perpetrator here. He tells his wife, Trixie, be quiet. Trixie is the victim here. When she's told to be quiet, she feels angry, she feels belittled. But instead of going to Biff saying, hey, when you said that, I felt, can you help me with this? Is this how you want me to feel, etc.? Instead of doing that, she goes to her brother, Throckmorton,
1: Throckmorton.
0: No, we're making fictitious names here. Throckmorton. So she goes to her brother Throckmorton and tells him how hurtful Biff is being. He's a real jerk. Now we've got family division. Why? Because now Throckmorton has heard one side of the story. He's ready to go beat up Biff because Biff is being a jerk to his sister. Now, Trixie is in a point of feeling no motivation to mend the fence with Biff. Because now she's not alone. Someone has taken her side to rescue her. More than one person now thinks Biff is an absolute jerk. But what's really interesting is Biff might be innocent. What if he told Trixie to be quiet because she had too much to drink at a party and started telling people her social security number? Well, now you have a broken relationship with Biff and Throckmorton.
1: Yeah, the 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 thing that's striking me, even as you tell the story, number one, um, it might be easy to think that Trixie has no justification to feel hurt. I don't think that's what you're saying. Number right. one, right, hurt. Trixie might have been hurt, and mm-hmm. that's real, and we have to understand that and acknowledge that. Well, she did get hurt. She did get hurt. But what you're saying with triangulation, the problem is when she went and involved her brother, dear Throckmorton, and tried to get him involved rather than Trixie dealing with Biff directly.
0: You do not resolve the conflict, you create another one. Got it. Okay. Now, the Bible has really strong words for what to do with a person who causes division. I mean, these, these are really strong words, but they're right out of the Bible. Warn a divisive person one time, and then warn them a second time. This is out of Titus 3. After you've warned them the second time, have nothing to do with them. You can be sure that such people are, ready for this, warped and sinful. I love that. Mm. Warped and Mm -hmm. sinful. The Bible's being really strong. This person really is creating a lot of trouble. How do you deal with them? You step away from them. You have nothing to do with them. Uh, They're protective words because a divisive person will not just divide one relationship. They'll jump from relationship to relationship. Business partner to business partner, church to church, community to community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is caused by what the Bible calls gossip. It creates incredible damage.
1: You know, the, the, the last thing that I'll say on this point, and I just thought of it, I remember when I was doing counseling with you the very first time, we were talking about just some dynamics and all that. And I realized I was triangulating people in my own life. Hmm but I wasn't doing it intentionally at first. Hmm. And I say that to say, I was doing it, but I wasn't aware of it. And so it seems like when it comes to triangulation, there can be a spectrum.
0: Some, Absolutely. Some
1: people know what they're doing. Yes. And they intentionally do that. And then some people are just kind of like sheep and they're just like, I, this is how I've learned. This is what I saw. This is what I experienced. And so with every person, we would acknowledge there's a spectrum. And yet those words about the Bible we need to know this is the impact of triangulation. It creates gossip. And like you said, they're protective. And so those words are true. But even as you were sharing, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I'm triangulating. I didn't even know I was doing that. So I just want, I, I don't necessarily want to bash people over the head too much. And I know you're not doing that, but there is a spectrum here.
0: Yeah. And and I think to to like discern, I think it's good to go to another person sometimes. Because the motivation is key. Am I, is Trixie going to go to Throckmorton and say, would you help me talk to Biff? I don't know how. So if the motivation is I need advice, I need help Mm. to deal with this conflict. That's very different than, can you believe what a jerk Biff is?
1: Yeah. those The spirit even feels different. The first one seems wise. You're trying to get wisdom and knowledge to go back to the original person to solve a conflict whereas the second one is just gossip and you just want to stay there and spin your wheels and talk about how bad the other person is that's a helpful clarification yeah maybe
0: even throw out there hey uh trixie could say to throckmorton should i even be talking to you about this i'm not sure i just have a problem that i need help solving are you the right person for me to talk to without throwing biff under the bus So take a step back, figure out where you are and how you see these three functioning in your conflicts, attacking, pursuing, defending, withdrawing, or triangulation. So you go to question four.
1: Yeah. Last one. How is this conflict impacting you? Gosh, we could spend a whole couple episodes on this, but we're just going to stick with two areas. The first is physiological impact of a conflict. The second is the spiritual impact of a conflict. First, physiologically. Simply put, conflict affects us in our physical bodies. Any and all conflict engages our built-in fight-or-flight systems. We either hunker down, we get ready to fight, or we hightail it, get out of there and run away and flee, or we get so scared and frozen that we freeze. And again, these can be on a spectrum from minor to severe, and they operate really subtly a lot of times. Now, That being said, here's what I think is the most interesting thing I learned in preparing for this podcast. Men and women react and respond in opposite ways
0: in conflict. Are you saying that men and women are different?
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. What a a novel idea, right? but,
1: But I'm getting this from Julie and John Gottman's Seven Principles of Marriage book. This is fascinating. So they studied hundreds of couples in their relationship labs where couples come and they stay in these apartments for 24 to 48 hours They're filmed, they're hooked up to all these biological monitors so they can monitor blood pressure, skin temperature. It's wild. Anyway, what they found is that when couples were in a conflict, the women were able to calm themselves down much quicker than men because they engaged in soothing self-talk. The women told themselves, okay, look, it's going to be okay. This is just a one-time thing. We'll figure this out. And they're able to do this in the moment in the conflict, in the room with the presence of their partner. Now, men, on the other hand, they were not able to calm themselves down. In fact, they were not able to physically leave the presence of their partner. If they weren't, their blood pressure actually increased and the conflict got worse. Mm. Worse. The the men, they couldn't engage in soothing self-talk. Instead, they held on to the negative and offensive part of the conflict and they couldn't get over it. But you know what helped? When they physically left the presence of their partner, they left, they could calm down then they came back and started again. So what does this mean for you and your conflict? Women, if you are in conflict with a man, could be a spouse, could be a friend, could be a coworker, and they want some space and ask to get away, let them. Or if you see that they're starting to get angry and flustered and they're not asking for space, but you know they need it, then suggest that you take the time. And if they don't, then you step away. Now, men, if you're in conflict with somebody with a, with, a, and somebody suggests that you need space, do it. Or if you do get the space, take it, but then circle back to address the conflict rather than ignore it. John, please, 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 please tell I, your story. I've been waiting this whole episode for it. Let me hear
0: it. Yeah, you really like this story <laughs> for some reason. I don't
1: know why. I love it.
0: Well, before I tell it, one just one little uh, asterisk. Yeah. What I've found with clients when I do this and i explain this process or concept the men will like find some freedom like okay i can like vacate i can like go away but i have to come back around and say but that does not mean that you can just never come back to it because the woman will feel like if i give him this freedom he's never going to address this issue and frankly that's what sometimes we do with it we avoid it altogether so The key is you want to step away so that you can step back in. So my story is my wife is Italian, and we got into a conflict I remember specifically a few years ago, and I was so angry, and I had every nasty word flowing around in my head, and I was thinking, you know, how can I really get a jab in here? And I remembered, like, this principle, I need to unplug, step away. And I said, Paula, I need to step away from this. And I tend to withdraw at times. And she pursued and she said, no, you're not getting out of this. And I just stood there. I listened for about 30 more seconds and it wasn't getting any better. I was just getting more angry. And I said, I need to step away. You got to trust me on this one. And I started to walk out into the garage and she followed me and she kept coming at me, and I finally said, she's that normal sinner, so she'll listen, and she'll take it in, but boy, this was a heated conflict. I wasn't sure she'd listen or not, but I finally said, if I do not step away from this, I will hurt you, I will say things I regret, and I will create damage, and I just don't want to do that. Would you trust me on this? And she stopped. And she stepped away. So that's the story you love so much. Tell me why you love it. Oh, there's
1: so many things. I think I'll just stick with the last thing that you said. Would you trust me? Mm. You, you were vulnerable enough to say, look, I know myself will you please trust me? And Paula, the normal sinner, she listened to you. She could be influenced by you. She said, okay, I will. And she separated. And maybe another reason I love that story is just it just fits so many situations that I've seen so many times in my own life. So thank you for sharing the story. Thank you, Paula, for stepping away. And here we are.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, with couples or even with any relationship, once your blood pressure gets to a certain point, your heart rates up, your fight-flight-freeze mechanism kicks up, and it doesn't take long. one of you has to pull the plug or it's going to get really nasty. Right.
1: So that's the physiological impact of conflict. Last one, the spiritual impact of conflict. John, tell us about this.
0: Yeah. So if you're a perpetrator of conflict, you're a divisive type of person. You continually seek out conflict. You don't mind it. You kind of look for a target. Then really you're fundamentally opposing something that Jesus wants, which is unity and reconciliation among his people. It is a hardness of heart when you assume that you're always right, and that's what a perpetrator has to step into to perpetrate. Like, I'm right, that person's wrong. Uh, If you do that, uh, you're going to fall into that category of Titus 3, where Paul says, hey, Step away from a divisive person, have nothing to do with him. Now, the other part of that verse that I want to point to is, knowing such a person is warped and sinful, ready for this? We didn't say this before. He is self-condemned. And that is interesting because that doesn't mean God's condemning them. It means they are condemning themselves by being divisive. They are making their hearts hard and they're dividing relationships, and they will find it very, very difficult to have healthy, meaningful relationships, if at all. And you'll bear the fruit of your own actions. The consequences will come to you. Um, Therefore, you're never going to really experience the contentment and peaceful experience of Jesus loving you deeply on this side of heaven the way that you could experience it. And what I mean by that is, The way that you nurture relationships and the way that you mold and shape them in your life creates a filter in your brain by which you see God. So Mm -hmm. you'll end up looking at God like he's always on your side. There's no place where I need to grow. And you'll just sort of cocoon yourself into this hardness of heart. Now, it might be for good reasons that you're trying to protect yourself. And you're trying to find a rescuer, right? But you need to understand the impact that you're having and just be honest about it. The first step is, the Bible calls it repentance. We as counselors call it honesty. Mm. Uh, Just be honest with, take that first step, Jesus, I really struggle with this. Can you come in and make me the kind of person who learns yeah. to do relationship differently?
1: Yeah, that's really good. So, so that's the spiritual impact on the perpetrators of conflict. If you are more the victim of a conflict, if you're experiencing the negative impacts, you're being told awful and untrue things about yourself, you're being verbally, maybe even physically abused, you're just being worn down, you need to hear this. You are not disqualified from God's love and you are not abandoned by God. If anything. Jesus is taking more of an interest in you. Here's three scriptures that you and I, and we all need to hear. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When you are the victim of a conflict, that is worth lamenting and mourning about. Now, Jesus, he doesn't want this conflict in your life, but he is with you in it. And because he is with you and me and all of us, that means there's hope. Now, the hope could be that you break free from this conflict, this relationship, and avoid the hurt that you don't need to be, keep taking. Right? In Romans 12, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That assumes that there might be some times when it's not possible. Now, we're getting into the weeds just a little bit, and so I want to hold that, and we'll get into the specifics of how to possibly manage an unresolvable conflict in the next episode. But for now, we want you to hear that if you are the victim of a conflict, God is with you in this conflict. He's not going anywhere, and therefore you have and we have the opportunity to grow in a deeper way in a relationship with Jesus in and through conflict. Okay, John, take us home, man.
0: Yeah, takeaways, summary, and conclusion. That's the title of the sixth point here. Yes, we do have notes. Uh, Takeaway summary. Number one, determine who you are in conflict with. Is it a normal sinner that you can approach who will be honest, who will hear you, who is teachable? Is it a fool who will never learn and continue to perpetuate the cycle of stupidity? Or is it an evil person? someone who strategizes, how can I get on top here? How can I hurt this person? Number two, figure out what the conflict is really about and what kind it is, solvable or unsolvable.
1: Yeah. That third question, what pattern or patterns are you engaging in during your conflict? Is it more attacking and pursuing? Is it defending and withdrawing? And or are you triangulating someone or a group of people into the conflict? And last but not least, how is the conflict impacting you physiologically and spiritually?
0: Yeah, and once you've gotten closer to answering some of these questions, and it is a process, they're sometimes not very simply answered. We are simply asking you to step into the process and start learning. But when you start doing that, you'll be ready to take the next steps toward managing your conflicts more effectively and more faithfully. No one ever does it perfectly. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Preach. Step into the process. So tune in next week. We'll talk about how to manage the roots of conflict. See you next time. And adios. Adios. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.